While Beauty Lab and Laser is a professionally licensed medical facility, the hosts of this podcast are not medical professionals, nor do they claim to be. The opinions on this podcast are for entertainment only. Please seek a licensed medical professional for all medical questions. Hi, and welcome to Live Love Lab, the behind the scenes podcast from Beauty Lab and Laser. I am Heather one of the owners of Beauty Lab and your co-host for this podcast. I'm joined by Dre, the other owner slash host, co-host, and together we are Trether. Yay. Yay. That that went well. Well, listen, I've surrendered. <laughs> At this point, I've completely <laughs> surrendered to who you are as a person, <laughs> and I'm happy to do that together. We are Drether. Thank you. However, as much as you guys want it just to be the Drether Show, mm-hmm. we love to have experts on our podcast, and today is no exception. We are joined by, I don't even know how to, I don't know what to start with. I don't know if we should start with his looks or start with his credentials, <laughs> because they're equally valuable. They are. To, to me and to women and men everywhere. Yeah. Would you just agree? Just humans, yeah. To human beings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a credit to humanity. Let's just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> Don't reveal yourself. <laughs> They'll recognize your voice. Okay, Dre? Yes. Okay. our guest today. So we are joined by Dr. Paul Warner, um, double PhD, right? I actually the just... The first one wasn't getting him laid enough, <laughs> so we got a second PhD just to and seal the deal. And that's when all the... So first, <laughs> that's when the all the ladies First PhD is in clinical psych, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other one is in corporate psychology. Is that right? Industrial organizational psychology, okay. which is AKA. the scientific study of the workplace. Okay. It's yeah. corporate psych. All right. Yeah. Well, there. So I was right the first time. You That's were, but saying. you know we. But had he'd to... like to mansplain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, if this yeah. is the chance for me to just make exactly. my presence known, I'll mansplain to you what you just said to me um, in a way that makes me more important. To begin my forty-five minute lecture. <laughs> No, yeah. So uh, Dr. Paul is um, brilliant, obviously, and is actually a dear friend of mine. Okay, I think we so, should tell first how you and Paul know each other and then how I first met Paul. Okay, let's do. So um, Paul and I met 20 years ago. He uh, played in a band at my store, that my first uh, venture into entrepreneurship. I had a little vintage store in Provo. And um, yeah, Paul had a punk band that played there. And mm-hmm. so we became friends. I actually ended up dating um, one of his bandmates and best friends um, years down the road. And so we, we kind of have been in and out of one another's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we reconnected a few years ago. And was that the first time when I met yeah. him? And mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so let me tell my version then. <laughs> it was a cold, dark it was a cold, night. dark night. I was an innocent lamb being led to the slaughter. No, Dre and I, Dre had taken me to a Ryan Adams concert, and I had never. I, I'm just gonna keep it real. I confused Ryan Adams with Brian Adams. As, as so many people do. A lot. So and so I so thought, holy, do. Brian Adams crooning to me for a couple hours, I'm down. I'm down. I mean, play that I was Robin big, Hood song. Yeah, play the song from Robin Hood. Play the song from Robin Hood. I... I had heard of Ryan Adams, but I like, I honestly had mixed him up a lot. I just, it was a little bit outside my genre. I was more into like, you know, lesbian folk. (laughs) (laughs) And, but I knew that Dre, and this is pre-scandal. We have to just be clear. Pre-scandal, RA, because there's been, you know, there's been a loss there. But pre-scandal, Ryan Adams, she invited me to the concert and... I went and I was so excited. And then like kind of toward the end of the concert, she started like kind of texting. And I was like, who are you texting? She's like, oh, some friends from college are also here. I, we're going to see if we can like say hey, hi afterward. And I just thought, you know, with my social anxiety, I just thought, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll Uber home separately. Thank you very much. But no. So we went, we left yeah, the we concert just, and yeah. we met. Just outside of the, yeah, like, just, just at the concert hall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was at We Eccles. went to a hotel yeah. room. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to clarify. No, we, we were like walked out of the auditorium yeah. and they were there. Yeah, you guys ran into, yeah. 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 And you and I were, were sitting out on the veranda. And we're we on were the looking, veranda. We were and you looking, offered me a mint julep. And I said, I, oh, sir, it's after 4 p.m. No, I could possibly. I was like, come on, let's get you loose. Um, but I remember us looking out on the crowd. And you and I had like a pretty deep connection immediately. 
You know, I think it was like this cosmic coming together of two personas. And yeah, I felt like the universe finally was aligning for me. You know what? A lot of men feel that way when they first meet me. I bet they do. And it's because I'm feeling it too. Because I'm feeling it too. You know, I'm, I'm kind putting of those feeling... vibes out there. I'm putting out cosmic connections at the Ryan Adams concert. If you're picking up on my signal, you are called to the work. That's right. <laughs> I'm just like going through the room. I mean, I felt the tingles. I felt the jangles. And I'm feeling them now. <laughs> As am I in our in our All right, guys, brand new I'm renovated podcast room. I know. We're just going to pump up the air one more, one more notch. <laughs> no, I remember everything. We walked out. We were on that balcony. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, Paul and your friend. Uh-huh. And I met them yeah. for the first time and you guys had like a complete connection you had like a 20 30 year how many 20 year friendship yeah old, i mean, yeah. Was, I mean yeah, we had known ago, right? yeah we had known each other yeah we had known each other since two, like 1999 yeah yeah is when we met so yeah and to be fair it's the first time i had really seen dre outside of the element of beauty lab and being a mom to her daughter so that's true it was very cool it was very cool yeah but I think Paul made a joke about two queens in a queen bed and, yeah. like, being on a trip with our friend. And it led you to believe that they were gay together. Did not lead me to believe. <laughs> I was 100% confirmed. Fact. And so it's just like, they're, how long were they together? And Dre's like, oh, they're not gay. And I was like, oh, oh. Yeah, right. And then, and then, and then the cloud burst. And I was like, oh, Dre, Dre, I'm glad I can be your mentor through this garden of confusion. I live They with are. That. I they are in love. Yeah. Or were in love at one point. Yeah. Well, I lived with that particular friend for a few months. And we would okay. walk the dog around the neighborhood. And everyone was confused. You know? Confused yes. or convinced? Convinced. <laughs> convinced. I mean, I held his hand because he's a he's a, Stop. an old friend. You can't but... you can't give away all the secrets. You did not. But they did make jokes about like how they were disappointed that there were two queen beds in the Marriott and they wanted yeah. a king. Yeah. They yeah. said several specific things that Dre for the whole ride home. Do you remember the whole ride home? You tried to convince me that you knew for a fact. <laughs> and you kept saying, I know for a fact, and I thought, well, what does that mean? How do you know for a fact? Like submitted them to like some sort of electronic <laughs> testing yeah no I know it was really funny but I didn't we, we didn't know each other enough yet to know that they were not gay yes in fact quite yeah. quite the opposite but that's kind of a funny thing because yeah. that was the impression I got yes well I was winking at you right when I met you wink wink you no, know you're, I put, you're I get confusing little, when I ran little... into you at the David Sedaris concert because it was the same venue we oh, had a yeah, moment at the David right. Sedaris babe I love David Sedaris. I wish I had his voice right now for this podcast. I wish podcast. David Sedaris would listen to this. I, Shout out, David Sedaris. Yeah. I, I am wish, you in a female Mormon form. I wish I had been invited to your I guys's. was a guest. I was well, a guest to David, and he was there with a guest as well. Well, Oh, I was my, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I had my some, some people it's at fine. the time called it his wife. <laughs> <laughs> but as, we know, as we know, marriage know. is a sham and it always ends. Yeah, so. now perfect transition into mental health. <laughs> you know. know what I'm saying? Well, but here's the deal. is that <laughs> Mental so, health awareness. That's Paul, what the topic is today. So Paul ended up um, meeting with us and doing some consulting for us because... I forgot about the book. Oh, yeah. He's written a book. It's called Magic. Yeah. Um, and, and Dre didn't know about it, and I sent it to you. Yes. And you're like, this book was written by my friend. And I was like, bitch, please. <laughs> Who do you think you're dealing with? <laughs> Heather, do you think I just, like, I you think I just you went just... to Amazon's top five and picked one and sent it to you? <laughs> this is a book written by your not gay friend. Yes. That's like what I, I mean, it was the coolest book. It was. I got one it for was, me, too. It was super helpful. We both read it. We, we loved it. Loved it. Read it and loved it and had newfound respect and, you know, Flag of potential, potential <laughs> sexual partner over Paul's head, which had not been there prior to, you know. But you're like, meeting. I have to have him now. I simply must. I simply must. Yeah. <laughs> just, just to convince myself, if no one else. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I, I think I got at least two dollars of royalty from you two, so that's that's amazing. Oh, good, good. That's all you make on a book. Really? Yeah. But let me tell you, the, the panty but, dropper, when you say, oh, I've written a it, book. It has paid dividends. Dividends. <laughs> oh, dividends, oh, man. Well, anyway, so Paul has done some work um, for us professionally at Beauty Lab, um, helping, like, coach our leadership team. He's done some um, communication training, right, with mm-hmm. the whole staff. Everybody loves Paul. And um, he's one of my BFFs. 
yeah, we're just excited to have you yeah. here. Thanks. I'm so excited Thanks to be here. Thanks for joining. This has already thrilled. been so fun. The best 10 minutes of my whole day. <laughs> well, give us time, my friend. It'll decline from here. The intro is always the easy part because, well, yeah, we genuinely love and respect Paul. He's not only like ridiculously handsome, which is a plus, but smart and intuitive. And he has emotional intelligence and he is here to to help us talk today about yeah. a subject that is like tender. Totally. So tell us why okay. is today significant? So today is significant. September 25th. Hopefully we will release this podcast a little bit later today. Um, but today is my brother Tim's birthday. He would have been 38 years old today and it marks the 10 days of the year where he and I are just a year apart in age. So like I'm 39 and then in 10 days I'm turning 40. So we always like called like the 25th through the 5th like that special like 10 days where we were just a year apart and um you know he died by suicide last November and we've talked about it a few times on the podcast and um it's just been a big month for us at Beauty Lab September is suicide um, awareness or suicide prevention month and um, we launched a treatment for self-harm scars this month and we've just been it's been on the forefront of I think everybody at Beauty Lab's minds, um, and we we wanted to talk in Tim's honor about mental health today, specifically for, with men, male male mm-hmm. mental health. So with um, with when Tim died, it was a huge shock to all of us, and especially because you know I would I'm just gonna say it like you would never have thought <laughs> you would yeah. you would be the least. I want to say the least likely person because all of us are susceptible to, you know, human frailty. But, like, Tim was a handsome, active, funny, cool... Well-liked, Well-liked, successful guy. And he was, in many times, a strength to me. Like, he always helped me out when I was struggling. He could sense at a party. If, like, you weren't feeling it, he would interject. Mm-hmm. He would direct you other ways. I... He was just the guy that you kind of looked to as, you know, the strength, the protector, the provider, like all the male qualities that we, you know, attribute to Disney princes, you know, like this is who Tim was to not only me, but a lot of people. Yeah. And so when Tim died by suicide, it was a huge wake up call to us that mental health is real and it's probably even more real and more painful for men who are trying to be the Disney prince and can't ask for help, can't show their grief, can't show their vulnerabilities because they want to be a man. You know, they want to man up. And so we wanted Paul to come on the podcast today to talk to us a little bit about the stigma of male mental health and the vulnerabilities and some of the hard things about being a man and struggling and we're doing this so that the women in their lives can be aware and help them and for the men to know that you're not alone and we see you we hear you and we want to help in any way we can totally so um I don't know Paul like can you speak to that like you're you're Mm -hmm. a man or like do you feel like you can relate did you cry during still magnolias um, I didn't stop crying for at least <laughs> five hours. Love it. What about, um, I mean, what's any, another crier? What's like, another? Yeah, Lorenzo's so, oil? Did that one uh, get you? Man, that and, you know, the English patient. Oh, okay? stop, stop. But, yeah, can we stop? Because I, I really yeah, will. Yeah, we don't want to cry um, right now. But you know what? I, I, first of all, I think the topic is so important. I'm really passionate about it, of course. And, and. You know, I hate using the term like the male perspective because one of the things that that I've learned in, you know, in studying psychology and actually, you know, conducting therapy with with men and with couples, etc., is that the more I learn about kind of the human condition, the less I know about it, the less I can like look at someone and, you know, diagnose what they're dealing with or like understand their personality uh, because it's, it's, it varies so much from person to person. So as I talk about this today, I, I want to make sure that I avoid generalizations as much as I can. I'll talk about my own subjective experience. I'll talk about some, some data that I've collected. But again, individual differences uh, will vary 
And so one has to kind of understand his or her own trauma, how that manifests as an adult, and, and then talk about it. Talking helps. And like, so discussions like this are really important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's like kind of what our whole goal has been this month is to just allow people to discuss this because people are scared of talking about depression, anxiety, mental health in general, um, being medicated, um, self-harm, all of these things. I, I am learning like in an overwhelming way, how much more common it is than I had realized. Of course, like I personally have struggled with my own mental health and, you know, I think you just kind of feel like you're alone and like, Oh, this is just a me problem. But like the more I talk about it, the more I realize it's like just a human, (laughs) it's a human experience. It's it's the human experience. And I think it's because it's been stigmatized that first of all, we look at it as a moral failing or a character flaw, Mm -hmm. which it is absolutely not. It is part of humanity. The only universal thing that we have that is common amongst someone born in Uganda, someone born in Iceland, someone born in Salt Lake City, Utah, is pain is universal. Everyone knows heartbreak. Everyone knows despair, mm-hmm. you know? Joy, 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 everyone knows loss and grief. And joy, joy can be relative, you know? Like, what makes me happy probably would not make Angelina Jolie even blink, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but pain is is universal and for some reason women have felt more comfortable in this arena to talk about need and pain and heartbreak and men are expected to swallow I mean this is my version like the men in my life I think are expected to swallow it I saw my dad cry um you know I can remember I saw my dad cry in the you know early years like twice and then as he got older, you know, anything would make him cry, like any movie. You know, yeah. he'd just tear up. But he was aging, so he was past all of the stigmatization Especially of masculinity. Especially oil. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my dad was a sensitive, vulnerable, like, yeah. articulate man that wasn't afraid of his masculinity. But to even me as a, his daughter seeing him cry deeply was terrifying. And I think it was terrifying because we, as a society hold men up to a standard that is we know is impossible to achieve but it's also unrealistic you know it's just and it's not fair that we don't give them a forum to talk about it and to have a safe way to express themselves yeah Yeah. and it seems like the the more successful a man is um that the more pressure is on them to act and behave in a certain way to, to remain stoic and strong and, and gregarious and outgoing. And, you know, often, it, like, that, if you think about celebrities and, and, you know, historical figures even that have, have died by suicide, right? Many of them were the most dynamic and, you know, from the, from objectively, they, they seem like very happy people. Um, very strong people. Very strong but people, Tell yeah. the people the stat that you told us, like... Yeah. We focus so much on women talking about their feelings, but what's the percentage of suicides So for men? 75% of suicides are men. 75%, which yep. is staggering. Yep. Mm-hmm. And 40% of men don't feel like they can talk to anyone about their mental health issues. So you have half, half the male population that they've got, they've, they're feeling the pain, they're feeling the sadness, but they don't feel like they can talk to anyone because of the stigma that still exists. Yes, it's getting better, but um, it's still there. It's still pervasive in our society. And, and so, yeah, and I, so I think, again, it's just because someone looks fine and, you know, says that things are going well, we're all experiencing that pain that you talked about, Heather, right? And so talking helps in general. I say to anyone, everyone should be in therapy. You know, everyone should have someone. And when I say therapy, it's not like it has to, has to be a licensed therapist. It could be just someone that's a confidant and that you can, it's a golden girls kind of situation. Yeah. <laughs> everyone yeah. needs a Blanche Devereaux in their lives. You've got to get Blanche. <laughs> um, but it's yeah. true because if you really, for anyone that's listening, just take a moment and think about what your impression is or your immediate reaction is when you hear about a guy crying about how he's unhappy or unsatisfied, not crying over the death of someone or something that's universal, but just about 
you know, discomfort or fear or, you know, depression. And when we think about a man crying, we attribute that to weakness. Mm -hmm. And that is fundamentally wrong. Absolutely. I'd like to um, bring it back to Glennon Doyle. Please and, do. And Please her do. book, Glennon almost, almost had a podcast without mentioning Glennon, but what a tragedy that would be. 20 minutes in. Why don't you point out a <laughs> sub-note of a subtext that I forgot to read? That would that would make me feel really confident. No, but she, I, she put a little, uh, in one of her chapters, she talked about this very thing about um, a friend of hers that she and her husband were really working on their marriage. And he finally ended up sharing with her that like he felt that he couldn't express his feelings and he was actually really, really stressed about their financial situation and his career and was it enough and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, he was getting all of these accolades from, um, you know, the female friends that, you know, the, the wife was sharing with her friends. Oh, well, you know, my husband is saying he's, he's actually is really stressed out, out about this. This is why he's been acting so weird. He's, you know, feeling insecure, blah, blah, blah. And all of them were like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing that he's actually sharing his feelings. But then the wife confessed, you know, I actually feel weird about it. Yeah. I feel kind of like, ugh, it's unattractive. <laughs> and It's unattractive. And like, mm-hmm. that's but weird. Why? And so like... And so Glennon talked about like how this is a shift that we need to make as women too, of like, let's not assign that as being weak. Let's assign that as being like amazing and powerful Mm -hmm. to be able to tap into what's actually inside and share. And let's create a safe space for our male partners, our, our male friends, our sons, our brothers, our dads to be able to share how they're feeling without shaming them and without projecting that onto them that like, ooh, that's Without, yeah. weird. Like yeah. start with yourself. Like don't even feel the energy of this is unattractive and vulnerable and makes me feel insecure because I need them to be strong so that I can express everything mm-hmm. in my, you know, rainbow of emotions. But it's true. If we, I mean, if there's nothing we can do about mental health at all, at the very least as women, we can stop attributing it to weakness and to um, unattractiveness because it's yeah. not. no. It's sexy as fuck. Well, Am it's I inc- to say that. Yeah, we have an explicit beep, rating. Beep. <laughs> <Spy>. Really? Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit, yeah, we do. So here's what I was thinking that um, I and I read a book last year called Models, and it was about how to pick up models at bars. Oh, I'm kidding. No, that's I mean, weird. It's weird that you would read that book no, because you it, have it, zero problem picking up models uh, at bars. Yeah, I do. Believe me. Let's go out tonight, and I'll show you how. I just cry disaster. on their shoulder. Do you have a Kleenex? I'm really suffering yeah. right now. Yeah, exactly. So, but but the idea is that for men, we create these models of masculinity as we grow up. So any of the men that we interact with, it doesn't just mean uh, fathers, but it's it's uncles, it's it's teachers, it's we we kind of build these models into ourselves, and then we manifest those when we're adults, right? And so for kids growing up without a strong male presence they don't know how to build those models and then they become an adult and they have hormones and they have you know all of these things going on and they really become disastrous in terms of relationships because they don't have uh, a model of of how to be vulnerable of how to 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 understand and express your feelings and so often one has to relearn all of that and part of like you know really being vulnerable is understanding your story in a way where you know you know, the, the kind of pivotal moments in your life where um, that, that kind of shape you, right? And the ability to talk about those moments and share those moments. Now, in the context of this book, it was share them on a date so that the, you know, the uh, the woman knows that you're sensitive and emotionally... And vulnerable and, and, yeah, and, and this vulnerable and it's sexy. Exactly. <laughs> that was the end goal. But now I use it in business and everything. Um, <laughs> Not only gets me laid at the bars, but gets yeah. me gigs but at I the mean, corporations. Like... But Paul, and I hope like we can delete this if, if you don't want to talk about it, but like you, <laughs> you lost your dad when you were really young. Uh-huh. Um, do you like, does that resonate with you? Do you think that's true? Like, do you feel like you had like male role models in your life? And do you, like, do you feel like you were affected by that experience? I mean, oh, of yeah. course you were affected yeah. by that experience. But. Well, so here's, here's what I've found that. I created a, a mental model of who my dad was that was completely false, right? Amen. Because, because um, my mother basically aggrandized him. Like he was, 
he never made mistakes. He that's why I have a, a PhD, right? Right. I, I was literally like following his path because he was a psychologist as well. Um, and uh, so I felt like I had to follow his path exactly. I did it in both, you know, in religion. I went, you know, I did the same stuff there. Um, married young, all of those things. And I all of a sudden realized that pattern when I was in my late 30s, which is around the time that, you know, how he was when he died. And like when I surpassed his age, I'm like, I have nothing to go off now. I've got to figure this shit out on my own, right? And so I started to create these new models for myself and I failed miserably because I didn't know what I was doing. And I continued to, to work on that. Give us an example of a model you created. Like if you were to say, you know, strong, work-focused, you know, prayers at bedtime, like what, what would be like the horsemen of the model that you were living by and then what you didn't have once you surpassed his age? Well, I always felt like um, I, I had to take control of all conversations and so like in work and professional settings, I had to be the guy that everyone was looking at, the center of attention, and I did it through charm and humor. And it was, so, I'm gonna swear, so fucking tiring, right? Yeah, it sounds exhausting. Like always had to be Hello, on. Hello my lady, hello my darling, hello my nighttime guy. <laughs> so, but, but that's an example of where, like I had this image in my mind of who he was and and, and I was so young that I didn't, I didn't actually, you know, I can't remember interacting with him, but I saw videos and he was like the center of attention. So I felt like I had to be that way. And I, I often didn't want to be. That and was I, your definition of a successful, strong exactly. man. Exactly. You act this way. It was almost like I was, I was, um, you know, living out a script in my mind that I had created a false script, by the way. Um, and yeah, so it would have been nice to have someone that could have said no you don't need to be this way there's not just one path to being successful or one path to being happy and there's and not one definition yeah. of what like a exactly. man is yeah. yeah because we've allowed women to run the gamut truly like we, we now we've opened up the barn doors you know and women can be like strong and ceos and all these things and they can be vulnerable and sit on a satin pillow and you know mm -hmm. Stay at home the food moms, placed on their tongue. Be, yeah. yeah, anything. We've given us this whole range. But still in my mind, like the definition of a man doesn't include emotions. Emotional. It includes emotions, of course. You know, they have to be desperately in love with me. But like... <laughs> <laughs> and they but, are. But, but no vulnerability. Like, I, I thought of my dad. And the reason I revered my dad as a young girl is because... I felt safe around him. I felt like he could do anything, he could fix anything, and he was always in control. The most like poignant experiences of my childhood were moments where I saw vulnerability in my dad. And this is how deep the stigma goes for male and masculinity and mental health. It's like whenever I saw my dad vulnerable, those were negative experiences for me as a daughter. And that mm -hmm. is wrong. Because when I saw my mom vulnerable, I grew closer to her. Yeah. But when I saw my dad vulnerable, it made me afraid. And mm -hmm. that has to be because of the context of what we have placed on men as yeah. what their role is in society. And, you know, the Me Too movement has happened for women, so we can own everything. But we need a He Feels It Too movement for men. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I think I think like a good place to start if if you have men listening to this that like have no clue how to be vulnerable and, and how to especially show that to family and people we love, one of the best ways to do that is to learn to say sorry in the right way. Okay. To own your own shit and to say, I'm sorry, especially to kids, like little kids, if they can see an adult say, I'm sorry, I screwed up, I shouldn't have talked to you that way. Um, that, that right there is, you know, it, it teaches so much, right? Think about it. Like if your dad disciplined you and then like said, you know what? I was way out of line. I had a shitty day at work. Yep. Yeah. I was I mad was at your mad. mom. Your mom was pressuring yep. me. And like, I don't really care that you wrote with Sharpie on the couch. You know what? It's a couch. 
Yeah. You're much more important to me. I'm uh, sorry I green, yelled. It's green velour. No one's, <laughs> no one's touching the couch. Listen, it was a calico print. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I tried to sign my name. It's probably worth billions now if they hadn't burned it. But, but parents never back down. And even as moms, we get it. But like, we, we don't even, we're not even on the table right now. But like dads stick to their punishments, stick to their things because somehow it's linked to their effectiveness their authority and their masculinity totally. and that is a fallacy that is not true yeah 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 and dre i hope i don't embarrass you with this but our kids hang out together yeah same age um and so we both had to like discipline our kids in front of each other and yeah. sometimes it works and sometimes it's disastrous right totally but you are very good at walking your boys back from how they feel in the moment to like the antecedent factors that led to those emotions and have them walk back and kind of think about triggers and think about what, like what happened, letting them know it's okay the whole time. And so you're fantastic at oh, that. Thank you. you and it's really how nice. does that Thanks. compare to how you discipline your kid? Like how is, there, is that a, would you call that a feminine approach or like how, how do you do it? That's different. Well, I, I think, I think the tendency that I have is to minimize the negative emotion as quickly as possible. Like, it's uncomfortable. I know that's not right. Like, stop but, crying? Yeah, stop crying. Okay. And and then I find myself saying that. I'm like, wait a minute. I have two that, PhDs. I have two, and I'm, I'm telling you yeah. to stop crying. <laughs> Buck up, man yeah, up. Yeah, you know massage therapists can't give themselves <laughs> massage. That's why... You know, I get it. I get it. I, I know this stuff. But it's is not that I'm, your like instinct? I'm good at it. And do you parent but, your sons yeah. differently than your daughters? If, um, one is, if both are crying over the same issue, would you... Like, they both spilled their ice cream cone. Would you put your arm around your daughter and be like, honey, I'm going to get you another one, and your son say, buddy, it's okay. It's a cone. Buck up. Stop crying. I would say that it was much more pronounced, the differences between my daughter and my sons, when they were younger. But as my daughter has gotten older, I, she, you know, we have a more connected relationship. So it's, um, and but then I have a seven-year-old, right? Okay. So it's kind of like, it's hard to contrast those things. I would say that I am a much better parent now at 43 years old than I was when I was, you know. We have a very young demographic. I know, I know, exactly. <laughs> don't worry, I don't look a day over 45. Um, <laughs> but when I was like in my early 20s, I was trying to figure things out again, trying to build my own models of ma masculinity. Of course, I sucked at it back then. Like the diff, like... But so my seven-year-old's getting a better experience is what I'm saying. Well, that's good because you're yeah. evolving and you have two PhDs. Thank heaven. You're, <laughs> I know. You're one in the, you're one starfish. It matters to this one. <laughs> you're throwing him back in the ocean. I, a really, really formative experience I had when I was a teenager is one of my friends got pregnant in high school and she married another one of my friends. So they got married and they had a son and I was over at their house visiting them with you know, shock and awe. We were 17 and they had this little boy and like this, I remember Jameson like running, hitting his head, like full face on the couch and like collapsing. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, he's like barely could walk. And they were like, no, no, he's fine. He's fine. And they just like shut me down. They're like, get up. We like, we don't, we don't want him to be a baby. We don't want him to be cryy. You know, we want him yeah. to be tough. And I like at 17, like it, it, I felt unsettled because, you know, you're so idyllic at that age. But I also was like, hey, that's going to be like a tough-ass kid. Like, yeah. that's going to be a guy that I'm going to want to date in about 20 years. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, I totally. thought that. I thought, yeah. like, that's how you raise a son. And I thought I would be a mom to boys. I thought I was going to be a baseball, you know, like a baseball, football, soccer mom. And I was going to live my life in the stands. Because you I was, love that. Oh. Yeah. I'm, yes, I yeah. thought I would be a mom to eight strapping boys and be like seven brides for seven yeah. brothers. <laughs> and I had three daughters. So it's, I'm grateful that I had three daughters because I think I would have raised my boys with that same thing. Like, I'm going to use the term man up because it'll link back mm -hmm. later. Man up, you're okay, tough it out. And, you know, don't come crying to me about it. Mm -hmm. Suck yeah. it up and feel it out. Do you feel like Tim was raised that way? Do you feel yeah. like that? If, okay, so tell Completely. us a little bit about Tim. Well, so Tim was a highly emotional man. He had a lot of feelings um, and obviously struggled with mental health. He had depression, anxiety. Um, 
I'm pretty sure he had at least some sort of personality disorder. Like he struggled with addiction. There were a lot of things that were really, really difficult for Tim just in his genetic makeup. Um, and then I think on top of that, we were raised very, very LDS. I don't know how you can be very LDS, but you know what I mean. You guys like, are extremely we were, LDS. We were devout. strict, we sit, devout. Yeah, we were devout, devout LDS. LDS. And I was LDS light. We don't say LDS anymore. The church has released new standards. Oh. We say Church of, church of the Jesus Christ of oh. Latter-day Saints. Oh, and then once you've said it once, then you can refer to it as the church or members of the church. Oh, okay. All right. Good to know. No problem. Um, but no that's problem. how we were raised. <laughs> and it is, it's a, you know, it's a fairly patriarchal um, system. And I think a lot of pressure was put on Tim to, to tame his emotions and to be successful and to show up in a specific way. And, um, he struggled to do a few of those things. You know, he, he struggled to tame his emotions. He was highly emotional. And, um, I think he self-medicated a lot with, um, alcohol and drugs because he didn't, know what to do with his feelings and heaven because forbid he was, expressed them. It was too stigmatized for him to, yeah, like cry, yeah. talk about it, ask for help. Yeah. He and had I mean, to like man up. And at the end of his life, I think he, he really, um, was working on self-medicating, but also like he did a lot of like physical exercise, like, and that was a big piece of his mental health, which was helpful. I think that's a big reason that we had him as long as we did. Um, he also had a really supportive partner in Taylor, um, who, you know, listened to him and, and kind of didn't leave his side. He gave her a lot of reasons to, and she didn't, she stuck with him. And I'm really grateful that she did because I think we had him longer because of her. Um, and I mean, God bless my parents. They loved him just as best as they possibly could. And I think that nobody knew what to do with the mental illness piece Um, I wish that he would have maybe sought out some medication, um, and help. I, but he didn't. And I think that a lot of the reason he didn't was because he felt shame. And Mm -hmm. so I, I, I really have a lot of love and respect for the men who are in therapy, who the men who are medicated because they know that if they're not, they're going to hurt themselves. Um, and that's okay. It is not something that we that we can change about ourselves this is what's in our genetics and so like and regardless of gender everyone deserves to be vulnerable and to feel pain and to ask for help and to seek help and to get help and it does not define our role in society doesn't define our attractiveness it doesn't define our validity doesn't Mm -hmm. define you know like it doesn't make us damaged doesn't make us less masculine. It doesn't make us more feminine. It's just the human condition, and we're all in this together. Yeah. So I was gonna. I was just thinking of something. So in my work, I work with a lot of you know leaders and executives, and um, I often will use you know basic personality tests and cognitive tests, and then um, <clears throat> different feedback mechanisms to kind of raise their self awareness. And I've worked with. Uh, some men who have been in their careers for 30 years and after I interview everyone that they work with they are just finding out that they're an asshole like or that they have major interpersonal issues and it's because again they've kind of calcified for themselves this image of who they need to be and how they need how they should treat people you need to be strong and you need to be assertive and no one dares to tell them any different and if they would just have gone back to the beginning of their career, showed some vulnerability, they would have been even more successful. So they were hitting these these points where they were stalling completely. And you would think after 30 years in one's career, you'd be at the top of your game. No, they weren't. They, that's why they brought me in to mm-hmm. help us save this guy. So it's kind yeah, of we've hit, we've we've capped out. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's another piece that we didn't even touch on. Maybe for another podcast, another day. But that do men attribute success with? you know, with that invincible image, Mm -hmm. never seen him cry, never Mm -hmm. seen him struggle, never seen him even waver in indecision. He's decisive. He's authoritative. You know, he gets shit done. He gets shit. Yeah. He's like all of the things and that we attribute that not only to masculinity, but to being successful in the workplace, on the job site, like 
show no weakness. Yeah. You know, think about our military. Yeah. I mean, yeah, who saw totally. American Sniper and like Googled every bar in San Diego that the SEALs go to? <laughs> Not me, but I've heard of girls that did. <laughs> I mean, I did. Because, I mean, well, of course. I was like, hey, what, what kind but of workout routine are you it's using? As, nice. I mean, as women, so like if we were to, the reason, so the, the purpose of this is to say, hey, let's evaluate what we attribute masculine qualities to be and let's open that door up for masculinity to be every color of the rainbow and for gender to take a step back and for human to take a step forward and for us to recognize that it is a sliding scale of femininity and masculinity as much as it is a sliding scale for sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're anywhere on the spectrum. I agree. Well, and one thing that I, just before we wrap up, I wanted to touch on um, that Paul said, you know, that everyone should be in therapy, whether that's like actual, like professional therapy, or if it's just having someone that you confide in and um, someone who you trust. I think, like, it made me think of Heather, you and I used to say, as long as the girls just have one friend, like at school, all you need is one. Mm -hmm. And like, hopefully we have more than one, but like, all you need is one. And I think of like, you know, especially with Tim, like, I wish that like, I wish that I would have been there. You know, I wish that he would have confided in me and leaned on me because like, like maybe he would still be here. And I know he really leaned on Taylor. And so I'm like, I'm not discounting that at all, but she was kind of his one person. Um, but I think he's still held back. And I think all you need is is just someone that you trust and love. And so like, if you're in that place, if you're in that dark place, like, or if you have a friend that you sense is in that dark place, mm -hmm. like, yeah, just read, like reach out, like be there. Paul, what are, what are good questions that aren't, that we could ask someone like say we're dating someone or our brother or our dad. And we sense that there's more brewing under the surface. What's a question we can ask that's, that's innocuous, but also opens the door. See, I, I don't even know if it's a question, but I, I like statements that that show empathy before. So, you know, statements like, you know, it's so tough right now, isn't it? You know, or I'm having a, a tough time. So opening yourself up and then letting them know that it's okay. You can talk to me about it. So starting off with like a personal statement, use yourself as the instrument to get other people to talk. That's a technique I used in therapy, and it worked like a charm. <laughs> like, life is tough. Life is hard, isn't it? Life like, is hard. Like, and, yeah. then, and then, like, yeah, it is. And you'll get people to open up rather than say, how are you doing? Because again, back to that stigma, oh, I'm fine. I'm Everything's fine. okay. Doing fine. But if you say, no, I'm a guy, you're my friend, life is shit sometimes, let's talk about it, that might give more permission. So, I don't know. Probably some other good questions. Dre, do you have any good questions? Yeah, if there was anything that you would have wanted to say to Tim that you held back and didn't say, what would it have been in hindsight? I mean, like everything. I everything. Sorry. Um, I wish that he would have heard more from me how important he was to me and how much I loved him. I know he knows that, but I hope he knows that. But like, there's something about being important to someone and being needed. And, you know, sometimes we have to have a reason to stay. And anyone who's a parent will know that because you know, let's face it, life is shitty and hard. But, like, I stay for my kids. I yeah. do. Because they need me, and I'm important to them. Um, and so, the people who are important to you, just like, I would just say, let, make sure they know that, that you don't want to live without them, you know? Like, don't leave. Please yeah, stay. Yeah, just stay. So... Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah, I I think the the just to make this really contemporary for what we're dealing with these unprecedented times, um, we did a study at you know I, I conducted this study where we looked at kind of the emotional um, journey that people have been on since the um, the pandemic. And what was interesting is that right when this thing hit back in March, 
we asked, we gave people a list of emotions and we said, what are the top three things that you're feeling most days? And it was, it was calm, acceptance, and optimistic. This is like right at the beginning. At the beginning. Because people were like, ooh, I get to work from home. Yeah, and like, isn't oh, this I get fun? to be with my family. Yeah, oh, I get to, I get to a change of routine. But we started to see these other emotions start to creep to the surface as this thing went on. The top three emotions now that we're seeing are fear, isolation, and, and anxiety. Okay. And it doesn't matter the age group. It doesn't matter gender. Think about, you know, back to your point, Dre, where you're talking about people need a reason to stay and or someone to talk to. Often that's people that we work with, right? And I'm afraid that as people, you know, as we're out of the workplace, as we're isolating more, that the mental health issues are going to continue to uh, become more pronounced. And so that's why this is so important that we talk about this. And it's important that people find someone that they can talk to. And it's often good just to hear yourself speak, Right. Right. And that's why uh, an actually trained therapist is good because, you know, he or she, they will be a good echo chamber, not a chamber, but an echo for you yeah. and your own voice and kind of validate or, or confirm what, what you're feeling. And that feels good yeah. to have those feelings confirmed. If you can mention it, you can manage it. So for all of our female listeners, reach out and like question your the stereotypes that you've associated with what's attractive, what's masculine, and what's what what kind of compartment you've placed your loved ones in that are male. And for the men that are listening, like, you're not alone. We're all in this together. These are universal feelings that everyone's feeling, and it doesn't take away from who you are as a human being to be vulnerable. And you know, it's kind of a communal effort, you know, it's, it's symbiotic for sure. Totally. Yeah. Well, um, male mental health matters and let's remove the stigma because the lab loves you and we don't want you to feel alone or afraid or that you're not important and we want you to stay. Please stay. Don't Please leave. stay. And you can feel your feels. <laughs> yeah. So and it's okay. So our just the tip this podcast or this week is to try to eliminate the phrase man up from our vocabulary. I use it a lot. I use it with my daughters. I use it with my staff. I, think I use you said it. that to me today. I probably, um. I said it to Paul today as he walked and I said, man up, man. Are you trying, are you trying to tell me something you feel? I don't want to hear it. Man up. She did not. And it is, that is a, that is like a totally destructive, stereotypical, horrible thing that I'm going to re- make an attempt to remove from my vocabulary and I challenge us all. The tip is remove man up. If you want someone to show up, say level up. Yeah. Or show up. Show yeah. up, level up, but it's not a masculine attribute to shovel down what you're actually feeling and show up as like the hero of your story. You don't have to be a hero to be important and valued and essential. You just have to be here. Yep. And we'll work through it together. Totally. Um, okay, so to wrap it all up, we want to talk about our Beauty Lab Best. And shout out um, for this week goes to all of the incredibly brave Beauty Labbers who have come to the lab to get their self-harm scars treated. Um, for those of you that don't know, part of our foundation that we uh, created in Tim's name, Don't Leave, um, it is a... What, 501? It's a 501c3, yeah. so it's nonprofit, tax deductible. Yeah, um, but we are using that to offset the cost to treat um, people's self harm and track mark scars. It happens. And I'm finding that it happens way more often than I realized. And I had the opportunity to go in, back into the treatment room with someone um, who was getting her self harm. Uh, it was a- actually, I believe, a suicide attempt. Um, on her wrists and like I was really 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 overwhelmed and incredibly humbled that she would let us do that for her um and be that vulnerable and show us yep yep I was there and I wanted to be done but I stayed and this is the reminder that I have of it and I don't know I just 
I have a lot of love and respect for all of the beauty lovers who have come in and shown us their vulnerability and who've chosen not to leave. Yeah. Who've stayed. Who stayed. Yeah. And despite the physical scars are showing up for their lives every single day. And we are here for you. Like we want to do whatever we can to mitigate the reminder or the pain or even just the shame that we associate with, which we shouldn't, but we just know it exists. You know, it's like a cloud over everything. Totally. And shout out to team BLL, our estheticians who are, you know, donating their skill set and their love and their empathy to spend an hour with our beauty labbers to do this. Like it has been incredibly impactful. It is, it is a gift for us to be able to treat you. It is a gift for you to trust us with your scars. And this is something that we've been talking about for years and we are so grateful to be able to provide it. Yep. So if you know someone with any self-harm scars in any capacity or someone that's overcome addiction and has track mark scars, any physical reminder that is negative, Beauty mm-hmm. Lab is here to help treat that free of charge and... We'll do what we can. In perpetuity. Yeah. yeah we'll do what we can. Um, and I would challenge other businesses that have the means to do something like this, other med spas. It's... Um, it will change your your culture it will change why you're in this business in the first place like offer the services for free get anyone and everyone in there that needs it and give back a little bit to the community that is that you know can do a lot of good totally truly and happy birthday to tim and we miss you yep I, i wish that he was here so bad and i'm mad that we didn't get him on the podcast we never had him on the podcast. He was at Beauty Lab every week. <laughs> Spray tan at a B12. <laughs> every Saturday. And he, uh, he was a true Beauty Labber because he was all about disrupting the status quo and connecting one-on-one with every human that he met and that we meet. And that is kind of, that is kind of the mission of Beauty Lab. Totally. Yep. And we love you, Tim. Paul, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, Paul, my that was pleasure. Fun. Was thanks great. for representing all men everywhere. Yep, I am the, <laughs> I'm the penultimate alpha male. Yes, oh, penultimate alpha male. Right. Can't get higher than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've actually have seen Paul cry multiple times. So not yeah. I, yeah. not I, not yet. <laughs> not the yet. The day is anyway. young. Yeah. <laughs> Just watch Lorenzo's oil with the man. <laughs> yes, he won't well, let me see if I can get it on my phone. <laughs> Who's in that? Is that uh, Richard um, Burton and Elizabeth Taylor? No, that's Sir, Susan Sarandon and what's his face? I can't remember. Beep, beep. <laughs> I hate I only remember the women. Chris Christopherson. Uh, Chris Christopherson. <laughs> I cry when I listen to Christopher Cross. Saline. Uh, takes me yeah, away. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Paul. And we loved having you. Yeah, this that was fun. awesome. Great. I'm sure it was, was it fun? But do you know what? It was, I think it was great. I, I love, this is where I like to live. Impactful, the, for sure. In the depths. But anyway, remember that the lab loves you and life is short. By, By the, the lips. lips.